you have a Bible this morning, find the book of 1 Samuel, which would be, if you go down the center of your Bible, it would be a little bit to the left of that. Uh, if you find 2 Samuel, it would be right before that. That's funny. It's not funny. Lame. Uh, but it is great to see you all today. Uh, great to see you. I love church. For me, church, church matters. And gathering together is a biblical thing. It's important not to just put our time in as, as churchy people and as religious people, but like to encourage one another and to be encouraged and to be united to accomplish the purpose of God and there, uh, to open up the very word of God and to learn and to grow. And this, this matters. This is significant. And I just want to say thank you for being here today. And thank you for prioritizing this thing. Uh, people around the world, all over the world, this is not legal for them to do. And what we have is an opportunity uh, that many people don't have to gather together like this, okay, in the name of Jesus, not legal a lot of places, to open up the Bible, not legal in a lot of places in our world, and we have this opportunity today. Um, I, I also want to just say thanks to those who are watching online right now. We love that you are with us as well. This is important uh, that, that, that you are here, and we love that we can do this for you. And uh, you can be watching right now from your house, your living room, your car, your bathroom, wherever you are right now. Uh, I'm glad it's not two-way, because that would be weird, because most of you haven't taken a shower yet, right? Yeah, okay. All right, moving on. But today we're actually starting a brand new four-part study uh, on a specific character in the Bible, a man named David. Uh, many of you have probably heard of David and Goliath and that story and all that type of stuff. Like, uh, David was probably the most famous, the most well-known king in the history of Israel. Uh, a thousand plus years of history, and David was special. Historically here, the life of David, we're talking about about a thousand years before Jesus, about a thousand B.C., uh, before Jesus was born. One of the cool things about King David is how much of his story and how much of his life we actually have recorded in our Bible. From, from a very young age all the way through his death, we have many, many events and many, many different things uh, in his life, incredible things. We also, in the book of Psalms, have kind of his journal as well, which is really cool. And so we have the historical stuff of what he did, and then we have some of the things that he thought, some of the prayers that he prayed, and all of that as well. I'm telling you, when you open your Bible, we have, we're talking about real people here who experienced real things in history, and we can learn so much from their journeys and from their highs and their lows and from how they experienced God in their life in different ways. And King David and David and Goliath, David, like his story challenges me in so many different ways. And so this is what we're going to be looking at the next four weeks, looking at kind of specific moments in his journey, in his life, and what we can uh, learn from that. And so today, we're going to start at the very beginning of David's story in the Bible, at a point in David's life when he's just a child. And before we read together 1 Samuel chapter 16, and really dive into this story, I want to kind of set things up a little bit so that we... Uh, uh, so that we understand what's going on, okay? Roughly 600 years before David is born, uh, we have the story of a man named Moses. 
And if you don't know that story, the Jewish people had been slaves in Egypt for 400 and some years. Difficult life, hard work, it was a mess. And finally they cry out to God to save them. God sends this man named Moses to Pharaoh and Moses shows up and says, Pharaoh, God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, Moses, I don't know what you're smoking, but no, I'm not going to do that. All right? And Pharaoh refuses. There's miracles. There's crazy things that begin to happen. And the story ends with a million Jewish people, estimated a million Jewish people, walking out of the country, the nation of Egypt, free. Forty years later, after wandering around for 40 years, Uh, These people settle in the land that God has promised to them, which is now modern-day Israel. God was leading them. God, they, they were following his lead. It was beautiful. It was how it was supposed to work. But in their freedom, and listen to this, in their freedom and their prosperity, over time, God just kind of gets pushed out the window. And, and the new generation of Israel's people kind of forget about God, the God that saved them, the God that blessed them, the God that did so much for them. In their freedom and their prosperity, they forget about him. All right? Uh, out of this godless period of time for the Israelites, God speaks to a little boy named Samuel and says, I want you to be my spokesperson to these people. I want, to, I want you to speak on uh, behalf of me, I'll give you the words to say, you just be obedient. And so God and Samuel, they have this powerful relationship where Samuel literally hears the word of God and then he begins to try to tell these people that in a way have drifted so far away, okay? Well, the people continue to reject God and we're, we're getting somewhere, I promise. And they go to Samuel and they say, tell God for us that we want to be like all the other nations around us. We want to be ruled by a king, And God says through Samuel, that's not how this was supposed to work. That was not the deal. I'm kind of your king as God. I lead. I bless you. I'm in charge. And they go, no, 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 not good enough anymore. We want our own king because all the nations around us have their own king. And God says through Samuel, uh, Samuel, he's like, I don't know if you want a king. Understand this. Like a king will take your money in the form of taxes. And a king's going to take your sons in the form of like making an army. And king's going to take your daughters and make them work in the, in the palace. You don't need a king. This is supposed to be me and you. And they say, that's dumb. We want a king. Like you can read about this. And God says, all right, here you go. And God leads Samuel then to anoint the first king of Israel. And Samuel anoints Saul, a young man, as king over Israel. Long story short, there's some good things that happen with King Saul. And he serves God for a little while. And then his heart begins to change. Saul disobeys God. The wealthier he got, the more freedom he got. He turns his back on God. And God is fed up. We're almost to David, I promise. And God tells Samuel, I'm done with this king. He's a stinker. And I don't want him anymore. That's what God says. It's right there in the Bible. You can read about that. And and God says, I'm taking the throne away from Saul and his family, and I want you to go anoint someone else as king. And so King Saul's son is supposed to be the next king when Saul dies, but God is telling Samuel, like, that's not happening. And Samuel is told by God to go to this little town of Bethlehem. You ever heard of Bethlehem before? 
Okay, this is way before Jesus. Okay, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Samuel goes to Bethlehem, but he says to God, if I anoint someone else as king, this is not going to go very well for me because there's already a king. They're going to kill me. This is going to be treason. God says, go under the disguise of giving a religious sacrifice, which would be a very normal thing for Samuel. So Samuel goes to Bethlehem, and the elders of the town come out, and they say, why are you here? This is like, it's kind of like the president showing up in Sox Center, and people are like, why are you here? I mean, it's like, this is either really good or really bad, right? Uh, why are you here, Samuel? Uh, and and Samuel says, I've just come to sacrifice, but I want you to invite the family of Jesse to the sacrifice. God has told Samuel that a new king will come from the family of this man named Jesse, but that's all that Samuel knows. And so the people come, Samuel looks at the sons of Jesse, seven of them lined up in a row, and this is where we get to our scripture right now. Take a deep breath, that was a long intro, but we're there. Turn to your neighbor and say, we're there. Yeah, that was great. All right, stand with me all over this place. And we're going to read this together. 1 Samuel chapter 16. We're going to start in verse number 6. Okay, so with everything in our background that we just learned right now, this is where we're at. Okay, here's what it says. It says, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before or stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, "Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart." Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons that you have? Well, there's still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Samuel, Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. There's so few of us, right? <laughs> yeah. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. Let's pray. God, we, we just open up our hearts. We open up our minds to you right now. And Lord, we just pray we pray, we pray that you would move and that you would speak and that you would do, God, the things that only you can do. And so, Lord, we just, we give you this time. Use me, speak through me, God. Uh, we give this to you in your name we pray. Amen, amen. All right, give somebody a high five and have a seat. <laughs> All right, hey, listen up. Here we go. You ready? So God, te God tells Samuel, go to the city of Bethlehem, to the family of Jesse, 
and you're going to find the next king. Samuel goes. The sons of Jesse are brought in before him. He looks them over, you know, and, and he says, nope, 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 nope. And then he says, is this all the kids you got, Jesse? And Jesse says, well, there's another little one who's out with the sheep right now. Go get him, Samuel says. Uh, Jesse called. David comes. Samuel says, this is him. Un- takes this oil, pours it over David's head in front of all these people, in front of his family, different things, and anoints his, him king. Uh, and then the Holy Spirit comes and fills. That, that is our story for today. But within this short uh, story, which is really the first time that we read about this man named David at all, there are a few very important things that we can learn and and things that just kind of jump out in this story. Let's talk through a few of them quickly. Write these down if you're taking notes, okay? There'll be three, and it's great for taking notes here. You'll have like an outline when you're done. It's going to be beautiful, so pull something out, okay? All right, number one, number one, here we go. Walking by faith is following God one step at a time. Walking by faith is following God one step at a time. About 15 years ago now, or even a little bit more, I took a group of teenagers to Bolivia. That's in South America, and it was on this missions trip. This was before I lived here in Sock Center, and we were working with teenagers down in Elbert Lee. It was like as close to Iowa as you can get without actually being there. We used to say we can smell Iowa from where we live. <laughs> Five miles, it, the wind was going the right direction. It was not good. All right, I'm just kidding. But uh, we, we took a group of teenagers on this mission trip to Bolivia, and, and I've taken uh, teenagers and, and, and adults on trips uh, often, but what made this trip different, what made this specific trip very different is that we didn't tell the students or the parents where we were going. Seriously. Well, this is, we, we did this, and we did it totally on purpose. Um, like, and I'm not, I don't even just mean like we're going to a school or something. It was like they did not know the country that we were flying to. We called it a mystery trip, and our, uh, we've never done one before and never done one since, and so I wouldn't say it really was a great idea, but it's a cool story now, all right? And so we wanted to do this, and we had this idea just because we didn't want teenagers to like pick a, pick a trip based on, oh, I really want to go there. We wanted it really to be about Jesus, and we wanted that to be the center, and so where we went doesn't matter. That was our idea um, for all that. And so literally, it was like, okay, pack this, and we gave them a list, and meet at the church at this time, and then they show up, and then we drive to the airport. They have no idea where we're going. Make sure you bring your passport, all right? And and we get to the airport, and it's like, okay, we're going to gate 25, and at this point, the students still have no idea where we are flying to. And we get to the gate, and of course, they see it, and they're all like, Bolivia, where's that? You know, they have no idea. And, and the trip was a fantastic trip uh, and all of that. Crazy idea. But listen, like Samuel here is the man of God who, cho- like God chooses to speak through him. And he's, and he's the man that has been given the task of finding God's new king of Israel. And listen to me, what details does Samuel have to work with here? Here's what he has. Bethlehem and Jesse. This is all he has. This is all the details that he has given. Uh, Like, uh, that's it. I mean, if I'm Samuel, I'm literally thinking and praying, God, if you could give me 
the name of the king's father, and you can give me the name of the city that he lives in, can't you really just actually give me the name of the actual guy to be king? Wait, think about this for a moment. God could have made this so much easier on Samuel, so much easier in this whole process if he just said, go find David in Bethlehem. Go find David. Instead, Samuel has to go find Jesse, and now there's seven sons, actually eight, but there's, there's seven sons. Great. And now one by one, they are brought in front of him, and he's like, and, and God just says, nope. And he's like, okay. You know, God, you could just tell me which one here. Why do I have to go through the, okay, go moving on. The number two comes, nope. Three, four, five, six, seven, nope. And now Samuel's like, we've went through all of them. So now Samuel has the awkward conversation with Jesse about, is this, is this all of them? Because none of these guys make the cut. Is, this, is there any more? And now Je okay, Jesse says, no, there's one more. And you have all of this that plays out. Samuel has to be thinking, good grief, God. We could have saved all sorts of time. We could have saved, like if you would have just given me the kid's name three hours ago, we could have been already eating supper for real here. And I wouldn't have had to go through all this awkwardness with all these people, with all the dad. So question, why would God only give Samuel part of the details? Why would, why would he do that? Well, when you take the time to think about it, it makes sense. Listen, follow me here. God gave Samuel what he needs to take the next step. God gives Samuel what he needed to take the next step, but Samuel is required to continue to walk in faith and continue to trust that God will make clear the rest of the plan as he goes. Now for me, I love to plan. Is there any detail people in this place where you like details? Some of us, uh, there's not as many as I thought, all right? Um, and so I love details. I love organizing things. Um, I walk around and I will, like when I walk around church, I, I will adjust the Kleenex boxes on the corners to make them parallel with the, you know, like this is just the way that I am. Some people call that a flaw. I think I'm blessed. Uh, I don't really know, okay? Um, but I, I just do that. And it's the way that I think. And my mind does that. I love details and I love to plan things out. And if God gives me something that I want, that, that he would have me do, or a direction that he would have me go, what I love is to, to lay out every detail for everything, okay? Anyone with me on that, okay? What I don't like is when I have something that I'm supposed to do, or something where I'm supposed to go, and, and I'm just like right here hanging, but, but what I don't even know what's going, it, it's, like, it's almost like getting in a car and driving someplace, and you're using a GPS, except you don't know your destination. And all you have to work with is turn left in 0.7 miles. And that's as far. This is what we have in this story. And listen to me quickly. If you're sincerely seeking God for direction in your life, and you're sincerely open and saying, God, use me. God, do things in me. You will go through seasons where it feels like God isn't being clear on things because God doesn't often tell us everything so that we will learn to walk with him in faith. God often just gives us one step at a time, gives us what we need for that moment. Are you with me? 
Okay, we see this in this story with Samuel. Could have been done so much. God, God, you could have saved us all sorts of time if you just give him the details. Samuel now has to walk with God, trusting and in faith that God is gonna give him what he needs. That's cool, all right? Uh, it's a relationship built on faith and trust. That's all that we need. Number two, number two, something else jumps out of this story. As followers of Christ, our desire should be to see people the way God sees people. Our desire should be to see people the way God sees people. In high school, I played on a crazy good basketball team. Incredible team. Uh, my senior year, we went 29-3, and three, and we, we lost the championship game in the state tournament. Uh, this was even bigger schools than what we have in soccer. Like, we were dominant. We were so good. And, and it was a fantastic to be a part of one of the reasons why we were crazy good is because we were crazy tall. Our starting lineup, our starting lineup literally went 6'9, 6'8, 6'7. And 6'7 was actually our point guard who handled the ball. He eventually played at St. Cloud State, was a great player. Okay? We were massive. We would walk into the gym of the opposing team. And and the other team, who was usually there shooting around or whatever, they would see us walk in the gym for the first time, and they would literally all go, we have to play them? Like, we have to play them, seriously. And it was, we were, like, we won a lot of games before things even started because people were shaking in their boots to play against us. Uh, but um, I don't know about you, but I can often, I can often, like, spot a kid that I think he's a basketball player, okay? I, I can see that. Some of it has to do with, their, like if you see someone who's tall and long-legged, like a young person walks in, often dressed in a certain way, like I, I don't know about you, but I can tell and I'm like, they play basketball. There's no question. Uh, in our story, there's a certain look to a person who is supposed to be king. A at least that's what everybody thinks, including Samuel. Uh, picture this with me. Now Samuel comes to the feast, this place, and, and Jesse and his sons are there, and they're brought before him. And we're not told what any of them actually look like, except for David, but we're told how God responds to this situation. And it's interesting. Verse number seven, the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance. This is the son number one walks out. Don't consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. He says, don't be distracted by the way that he looks. Don't be distracted by his height. Don't be distracted by his appearance. The Lord doesn't look at what people look at. Now, understand with me that there's a reason why Samuel, Samuel has this tendency to go this direction with the way that people look, and that is, that the first king that Samuel anointed, that man named Saul, who now David is replacing because Saul is kind of a jerk face, like that, that guy right there had a certain look. And I want to show you this. This is just a few chapters before 1 Samuel chapter 9. Okay, it says there was this wealthy, influential man named Kish from the tribe of Benjamin. He was the son of Abel, son of Zerah, son of 
Bechorah, son of, okay, we get all the sons of the tribe of Benjamin. Now listen to this, verse number two. His son Saul was the most handsome man in Israel, head and shoulders taller than anyone else in the land. The first king that Samuel anoints, okay, as king of Israel is a man that is taller than anyone else in Israel and he's crazy good looking. He stands head and shoulders taller than everyone else. He, like if you're gonna cast the part for a king, this is who you pick. If you're gonna cast the part for like a, an action movie, this is who you pick. This man looks the part in every single way. You know what I'm talking about, okay? And, and, so, and so here we have Saul looks like a king. The Bible says he's head and shoulders. Uh, and so back to David, Samuel is looking for the new king. That's his only experience is anointing a king, by the way, Saul. And he's looking for the new king, and he starts with the oldest brother. The oldest brother clearly is tall. He clearly looks the part. And clearly, Samuel stands up and says, bingo, this was easy. He, that's got to be him. Like, uh, and, and, and God says, don't. Don't look at what other people see. Don't look at things from your earthly human perspective because that's very different than the perspective that I have. The idea, God sees people in a very different way than we see people. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Don't get caught up in the appearance. Don't get caught up in what you see. Don't look at what other people look at because God sees things different. And this is hard for us. This is difficult as people. It's almost impossible, in fact, for us not to judge by the rules and the values of our surrounding culture. Like when, when, when we see a 6'8 teenager with long arms and an athletic build, I automatically think to myself, he plays basketball. And we come to conclusions immediately by simply what we see. And sometimes we're right, okay? The kid probably does play basketball, all right? We're right in that. But, but the lesson from the story today is very simple and very simply that God sees people in a different way than we see people. He doesn't, he doesn't look at the outward junk like we do. We judge people before we ever meet them based on what they look like. God doesn't do that. God looks at people's hearts. Uh, and if we want to grow and if we want to become more like Jesus, then part of that process for us is praying and seeking God and saying, God, help me to see people the way you do. Help me to see people through the lens that you see them. Help me to see people the way that you see them, God, not the way that my human eyes see and not the way that my culture points at. We cannot let what we see be become the louder voice in our head. We cannot allow the prejudices of this world to blind us to what God sees, to blind us to how God sees people. Now, let me give you a couple examples. We'll get a little uncomfortable for a minute. You okay with that? Two of us are okay with that, all right? The rest of you, pull out your AirPods, then you'll be good, all right? Uh, someone just said, what's an AirPod? I don't know what that is. Okay, but think about this. If you're in St. Cloud, if you're in St. Cloud and you see a woman wearing a headpiece, what conclusions immediately come to your mind? Think about that for a moment. 
if you see if you see a teenage girl carrying around a baby, what thoughts go through your head? If you see a young man with tattoos and piercings and a mohawk, what conclusions do you make? In different ways. If you if you drive by and see people smoking outside late at night outside the bar, what thoughts go through your mind and what preconceived unhealthy things, ungodly things, do we immediately come to conclusions about? Because the reality of this situation is every single person that I just described was masterfully and beautifully created by God. And we seem to rule out some of this stuff when we look at people and we say, I don't like that. I don't like the way that they look or, the, or what the perception that they are coming across as and we actually begin to view them in a way as untouchable, as dirty, as uh, dangerous, as whatever. And understand, some of the times we're right But the idea is, if we allow the way that we see people to really influence the way that we treat them, then we've all of a sudden missed the fact that God has made them and it's God's desire for them to be in relationship with him and our mission is to help with that. Okay? That was better than you just staring at me. You should have at least nodded a little bit or said yes, something, okay? Come on. You can't, we cannot let that happen, okay? Don't just look at people the way people look at people. Look at people the way that God looks at people. That should be our desire. And finally, the third thing, this is so cool. All right, God uses unexpected people from unexpected places. Something that is overlooked in this story because most of us have no idea about history and any of this type of stuff is where it took place. Samuel is told, go to Bethlehem. And we hear Bethlehem and we're like, Bethlehem. Jesus is born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is significant. Bethlehem is awesome. A thousand years before Jesus was born, Bethlehem was no place. It was like little nothing town. Really. It would have been, if you're from Bethlehem, people would be like, where are you from? And you say, I'm from Bethlehem. They'd be like, where's Bethlehem? Seriously, this is what this city is a thousand years before Jesus is born there. It is a no place. It is a nothing. It does not matter. It is where sheep herders hang out. And a few hundred people in a rural village. This is the story that we have. And this is where God chooses to send Samuel to find the next king of Israel. Samuel shows up and they're like, why in the world are you here, Samuel? Why are you here? And Samuel finds Jesse. Now check this, the next part. And Jesse brings out seven of his eight sons before Samuel. Dad doesn't even bring out David. Do do you catch that? He's told, go get your sons. And Jesse, for some reason, says, you seven, come on. He's not going to pick him. I mean, what what other conclusions can we make here that, that for some reason, dad does not think that Jesse has what it takes and is not going to be picked. He's the youngest. He's the runt of the litter. He's out there working with the sheep. And Jesse's looking at, 
these tall, awesome men over here. And think about this with me. God chooses the king of Israel from a no place and a nobody. Jesse's not a famous guy. Jesse's, he's, understand the idea here. This is crazy. David is out taking care of a flock of sheep. All right? A huge moment. And, and like God chooses this boy, eighth in line in his family, in a city that no one's ever heard of. In this story, God chooses a very unexpected person from a very unexpected place, and God is still doing that today. You may think you're not good enough, smart enough, tall enough, short enough. You may think you don't know enough about the Bible. Like you may come from a family that is a mess. Okay, uh, you may have experienced abuse. You may have not even graduated high school. Like, and, and, and we come up with all sorts of excuses, don't we, of why we're not good enough and why God could not use us and do something. Like in the Bible, we are, we are constantly seeing unexpected people being used by God in amazing. Like Moses, we talked about Moses killed a man early on in his life, fled from his life, had a stuttering problem, the Bible says, and he comes back and God uses him to set a million people free. Mary, the mother of Jesus, rural teenage girl. Some of Jesus' disciples are small town fishermen. I could go on and on and on. This is the Bible. God uses unexpected people from unexpected places and he can use you to bring change to somebody's life and situation. Music team, will you please come? I wanna ask you to stand with me all over this place. And before we go, before we're done today, I just want us to leave a few short moments for a time just kind of, of prayer and reflection. I believe, I believe that God is speaking to some of us very specifically about something. And the cool thing about a, a situation just like this is God, God will speak different things to different people depending on what they need for this moment right now. And for some of us, like you feel God has given you big plans and big dreams, but you struggle with the fact that you don't know what to do and that you look out to the future and you say, God, I know, I know that you have something, but I'm stuck here in this, like, why won't you make clear what I'm supposed to do, God? And for you today, for you today, if that's you, like, God is asking for you simply to walk by faith. To walk by faith. You're not always going to have all the answers. In fact, you probably won't. God is asking you to trust, continue to trust, continue to walk by faith, not sight, continue to seek God, and I believe you will see God show up in the moments when you need that. That's for some of us. That's for some of us in this place. Second, you know, I, I, think, I think for some of us, for all, probably all of us, but for some very specifically today, God is is, is, is showing you some preconceived junk that you have in your life and in your mind about certain people, people that were created by God. And God is saying, I want you to love people. I want you to love people, no matter what they look like, no matter where they're from, no matter what they've done. I want you to love people. Will you love people? And for some of us, that is God is speaking that so clearly to us today. Others, 
you truly feel unqualified. Earlier in the service, Taylor even talked about shame and guilt and how we, we look at the things we've done and the places we've been and we say, God, you could never, you could never forgive me for all I've done. You could never use me. I'm a little nobody from nowhere with a messy past. And for someone today, God is saying, I choose and I use messy people, nobodies from nowhere, to do incredible things for me if, if you are open to that. And with no one looking around, with every eye closed, every, every head bowed for just a moment here of privacy and just reflection here before we go, who here in this place would just say, Pastor Kyle, I feel God pulling at my heart for one of those three things. If that's you, will you just show me your hand? Just show me your hand. And God, I pray, I pray right now for those who are responding today for what you have put, uh, what you're putting on our hearts, what you're speaking to us and, sh and, and showing us today. And Lord, I just pray in the name of Jesus that we would take a step into that and that we would receive what you have and what you have made so clear. Lord, we love you, we need you, and we ask for you to continue to work in us and through us. God, we need that. In your name we pray. Amen, amen. One more thing here just before we're done. We always want to give people an opportunity to respond to Jesus, even for the first time. And maybe you're here today and you've never done that. You've never, you, maybe you know that the relationship between you and God is kind of broken and you can feel that. The Bible says our sin does that. Every one of us, our sin breaks this relationship with a perfect and holy God that created us. It's why he sent Jesus and Jesus died on that cross for you and for me and for those who put their trust and their faith in him and believe what he did, the Bible says we can be saved. That relationship can be reconciled is what that is. And maybe you're here today and you would say, I have never done that and I want to do that today. If that's you, just show me your hand. There's no one looking around. No one, no one looking around. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else that would say, today is my day and I want to do that today. If you're watching online, you can respond to this right now as well. You're a part of this and this is a moment for you. Anyone else for just a moment? Church, let's just pray this prayer all together. Pray this. Pray, Father God, I give you my life. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Forgive me of my sins and change my life. In your name I pray. Amen. Come on, can we put our hands together? Let's celebrate that. God, I pray that as we walk out these doors today, that we would be more aware of you and your very presence every step of the way. God, wake us up, Holy Spirit. Change us, challenge us, move us, oh God. And it's in the powerful, life-changing name of Jesus we pray. Everybody said?